Hello, welcome to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. I'm Susie Colick, the creator of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense, a self-empowerment program through self-defense. I'm a storyteller, a violent crime survivor, and a martial artist. I use these experiences to develop a program that's tailored for the way women actually learn, the things we actually face, and that's actually fun. Well, I think it's fun. We do too. These are some of our Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Certified Trainers. Hi, I'm Serena. Hi, I'm Shelby. And I'm Marilise. They're in LA, and I'm in Berlin. And there are a lot of miles between us. So what do you do if there isn't a Pretty Deadly Self-Defense course near you? Well, we put some basic techniques in an app. Which you can download from our website, prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. But we thought it would also be a good idea to take some of the self-defense questions we're most frequently asked and put it in a podcast. Welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. This is episode 58, and this week we're talking about police brutality or how to respond to law enforcement if they're being inappropriate in searches. I was doing some research about this to see um, if there's any legal precedent, and there isn't. The, the, so Mary, Mary Lise, when you first introduced this topic, you also added on, like, do you have to endure whatever the police are doing? My sense, and I think any human being sense is like, well, no, you know, you shouldn't have to. But legally, I could not find any advice that says, you know, if the police are behaving inappropriately, you can defend yourself. If they're using extreme force inappropriately, you can defend yourself in very specific cases, but it's really, really hard to prove. And of course, if you're a person of color, you're simply at risk of being killed. But what's in, what was interesting while I was looking this up as well was there was a paper written about, um, about this issue specifically about frisking and the habit, the police habit of frisking people when they're stopped, when they're detained, when they're arrested. Eric Garner had been frisked so often that when he actually died, it was because he had reached a point where he kind of couldn't take it anymore. And he confronted the police and said, you know, what else do you want from me? But prior to that, there was an incident that he had sued the police department over, he had been frisked in public and rectally penetrated. So the police, and, and apparently this has been like an open secret in police departments for a really long time that the police use this act of frisking both men and women as a way to grope and, and sexually violate people, but under the guise of the law. And the, the paper that I read about it was talking about how, like, you know, if this is done on the street, passersby just think that the cops are doing their job. So they can't really, you know, they can't really tell. And the police are protected by the, you know, like the need to frisk. So, and there was a court case that said, you know, the police do have a, a, they do have to do cavity searches if there's a suspicion of drugs or, or et cetera. Um, but it tends to cross over a line way too often. Frisking actually doesn't 
it's, it doesn't produce any better results than anything else. And it's actually not necessary according to this study that I was reading. Um, and most people who are fist by the police suffer uh, sexual trauma, a sense of sexual trauma afterwards. So do you have to endure is the question. Um, in the United States, the law is, it, the constitutional law is that you, if you have to be frisked or searched, strip searched, cavity searched, um, you have a constitutional right to have that done in private. That should never be done in public, although it has been in several occasions, even recently, and including Eric Garner. Um, but that's about it. There's no like that, you know, if the police are groping, you know, if they're using this opportunity to grope your breasts, um, to, to finger you, to, to grab your ass, to do whatever it is they're doing, there's no precedent for you to close yourself up and stop. You know, the, the, the advice that I've read both in the United States and I was looking at some sex workers um, alliance websites that offer a lot of legal advice for sex workers, especially if they get arrested. The advice is always be polite and comply. Mm -hmm. um, you do not have to agree to a search but you and you do not have to agree to being frisked. Because in, in certain cases, if there's no like imminent danger, they will ask, can I search you? And you can say, no, you can't. But the police also have a way of, they, they, they have different modes of approaching you. Um, and all of these are actually legal. So there can be a really abrupt and clear detention. You know, stop what you're doing right now. Put your hands on the where I can see them, you know, stand up against the wall. I'm going to frisk you. I'm going to search you, whatever, is a more direct and, and uh, a violent way of stopping someone. But they can also approach you with a simple, hello, can I talk to you? And they can use that as a precedent to then detain you and search you. And when they do that, actually, you do not have to respond. You don't have to say hello back. And if they say, can I talk to you? You can say, I'm sorry, officer, I have to be somewhere. I can't talk right now. Obviously, you don't want to run away. <laughs> that would be bad. And obviously, and again, you know, you, your, your, threat, your, your threat assessment has to be pretty keen. Because, of course, if you are a person of color, that risk is much, much, much higher, even by saying, no, you can't talk to me. Yeah, because I because I, the same thing that happens where where we talked about where like if you do something to a guy in training, they might punish you. That that is way higher when it comes to a police officer. If you do something they don't like or something that angers them, you're constantly at risk for are they going to punish me for that? Right. And then there's right. the extra level of concern is I see a lot of cases coming where they say like someone denied whatever the police officer asked and they get arrested for non-compliance. Right. So in these situations, if you think you're going to get groped or you stop them and they're in the middle of groping you, will you get arrested? It's exactly. And you don't, and again, if you're a person of color, the fear is higher, but that particular fear could apply to anybody. 
Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. It was a conversation I was having with someone a couple of years ago um, about racism, um, and this was a, a black man who was saying that you know it's it's the world is much danger for much more dangerous for a black man than it is for a white woman, and it, at least in the United States, and in many ways that's true, but. I was contending, yes, but the world is dangerous for all, more dangerous for all women than it is for men, and specifically for black women. And the context I was using that in was, you know, if a white man is driving through Beverly Hills and his taillight is out, the cop might stop him and say, you know, hey, buddy, your taillight's out. You might want to get it checked. And that'll be at that. And the white guy will be like, okay, thanks, officer. No problem. We'll do. If it's a black man driving through Beverly Hills and his taillight is out. The cop might stop and say, get out of the car, put your hands up where I can see you. What are you doing? Blah, blah, you know, all kind. And, and if the black man stays calm and is able to get out of that situation without, you know, like somehow it's never his fault, but somehow the cop doesn't like open fire for some bullshit reason, he can still get in his car and let's say he doesn't live in Beverly Hills. Let's say that he lives like in Watts or Compton, which is a more predominantly African-American area of Los Angeles. So he can get in his car and he can drive back to his neighborhood and feel safe, right? If a white woman is stopped by the cops in Beverly Hills with her taillight out, the cop can say, get out of the car or not. They can say, your taillight is out. Let me see your license, run your license, send you an email, befriend you on Facebook, call you up, harass you, ask you for dates. That's happened to me, actually. Oh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, they have your information and then they can just they can just hound you forever. You know, or if for some reason you're feeling spunky and you kind of talk back, they can they can grope you. You know, that's it. Put your hands on the car. I need to check you because you're acting up. And I'm going to use this opportunity to grope you. But I can still get in my car and drive home to my neighborhood and feel safe, except that in my neighborhood or at my home might be my violent husband or partner where I might get beaten up for coming home five minutes late because I got stopped by the cops. If you are a black woman and you're stopped by the cops for a tail light being out, you are usually told to get out of your car you are often groped. You may actually be raped or you are told that you can exchange sexual favors in order to get off. When you go back to your community, you are not safe. You're not safe among the men. You're not necessarily safe among the women. There's nowhere for you to be safe in this scenario. So what do you do? Do you always comply? Are we forced to always comply with the police? Well, I mean, I think that specific example is, you know, Sandra Bland with not using her turn signal was what it was. She got pulled over. She didn't comply necessarily. She didn't She didn't do anything wrong legally. She was within her rights to reject his, um, you know, attempt to detain her and all of that information. You know, if you look at the transcript, which, uh, you know, the case and articles on it, they will explain this so much more eloquently than I am currently trying to do. But basically, she had every legal right to say, no, you can't search my car. No, you can't, you know, you can't detain me for not using a turn signal. That's not legal. You know, she was totally within her awareness. And then three days later, she's somehow 
dead in a jail cell because he decided that she was resisting arrest or something like that and decided that that was enough, you know? So definitely for black women, like, you know, that risk is so high. She did nothing but not use her turn signal once. And that's such a, you know, it's a benign thing, such a benign thing. Yeah. So like, I mean, the, in theory, yeah, you have the right to say, no officer, you can't search me. And the officer can only search you if he has reasonable suspicion. But like my friends were driving home one night and they were four black men in a car going to, not home, they were going to choir practice for their church. And uh, they got pulled over because the officer said she saw smoke in the car and therefore she thought that they were driving high. And neither, none of them smoke. So like, you know, but even Mm -hmm. if she had seen smoke, it could have been cigarette smoke, but that was enough of a reason, her suspicion that there was smoke in the car that she thought we saw, that was enough to pull them over and question and detain them. So like... Right. Yeah. And the, the police do do this. And I, and I just want to say though, that like when that's happened to me, when the cops have, um, you know, contacted me for dates, that wasn't from an arrest. That was from, um, having my wallet stolen out of my bag in Paris. So this was the Paris police who did this. So I, and I'm making this point to say that it's not just the, it's not just cops, you know, it's, 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 everywhere and it's such a horrible risk and yeah i don't know i don't know what you could do and when you when you pose this question in our in our emails marilise i was really stumped because usually i've got an answer for everything you know and and i and i cannot i cannot rest with an answer of you just have to endure it I can't honestly like I think I think with this and this is kind of like um stuff that's kind of coming up with the pandemic with also like your morals and and what you can or cannot live with I honestly think it's you you do what you can live with you know if you can't live with not if you can't live with complying then you don't you know, and it's not, it's not a, a like thing you can tell everybody, every, everybody has to do it on a case by case basis. You know, you have to figure out in that moment what you are okay with, or even think about it beforehand, because right now we all have to think about like an altercation with the police and what that means. Um, and you know, how we would or would not want to deal with that. And right. I, I, Honestly, I, I think at the end of the day, there's no good answer, but what can you live with surviving? Because a lot of times, even if you think, oh, okay, well, I'll just comply every time, you might not be able to live with that. Yeah. That's, that's the reality. And the key. Right. Well, I, I think that goes back to what I said earlier, though, too, is that you also have to, you know, you do have to take um, a risk assessment and a threat assessment. You know, if, I, if I've decide for, decided for myself that I cannot live with that, um, that may be true 99% of the time, but maybe I've been stopped by a cop who is like clearly, I, I mean, you know, you can sense people's intent, you know, and I may feel like, oh, this is, I, this, I'm in, I'm really in trouble with this person. I'm going to have to comply with this. I'm going to have to just endure it because the, the, the alternative is that something worse will happen. Yeah. 
and and on, honestly also having a backup plan for if I have to deal with this, I have to deal with the PTSD that it occurs because I complied. So I need to know that I need to keep, take care of that to acknowledge that, hey, this is going to be traumatic. You know, this is this is not going to be something that I'm going to be OK with. And I need to deal with that. I need to have a plan for how I survive the aftermath. Mm-hmm not just the event. Yeah, my gut reaction is the only solid answer to this question at the end of the day is that don't be aggressive toward them. Don't be angry. It's what you said in the beginning, Susie. We have to be polite and courteous. And even if you're saying, no, you cannot, you don't look at them, spit them in the face and say no and walk away. You say as politely as you can, no, you can't or... Right, comfortable with this or the 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 sex worker sites that I was looking at um, mostly said be polite but firm, mm-hmm. and and I feel like this is so I was looking at these sites because I thought well this is probably our best resource because when I was just doing a regular Google search. There was a lot of information about resisting arrest, use of excessive force. It was all from men. There was nothing about violations, bodily violations of touch and sexual violations of touch. And so I realized like the, this is our greatest resource, our sexual work, sex worker support sites. So I would say that if you do feel that this is something that is, um, more likely to happen to you being detained by the police, possibly being searched. Um, Having a backup plan is a brilliant thing to have always, I think. But one of the sources that I think we should look at are sex worker support sites. Um, And I, and when I'm talking about sex worker support sites, I'm not talking about the type of sites or organizations that are like, we want you to leave sex work um, it's not that type. <laughs> you know, and, and help you rehabilitate and blah, blah, blah. These are, I mean, sex worker alliances that are usually created by sex workers for sex workers. It, w- recognizing that sex work is, le- is a legitimate form of work. <clears throat> and one of the realities of that form of work is, of course, getting harassed and stopped and arrested by the police, unfortunately. Um, Until it's legalized. There is one thing that actually just popped into my head, and it has to do with people who have dealt with um, serial killers, people who have dealt with getting raped, people who have kind of had to be in really compromising situations. And it also goes back to an experience I had with a police officer. Um, There is one thing that you can do, um, and that's misdirection. So what it is is that, you start to talk to them, not in terms of what you're doing or the act of the crime, but as a person. Um, So one thing that I did, um, not necessarily to get out of a ticket, but I was driving kind of crazy in this, um, uh, in in college in this, uh, in this parking lot, because I didn't know where it was. And I was trying to get out and I went the wrong way and a cop pulled me over. The cop came to the side of my car and was like, you know, really stern with me. What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And the first thing I said to him was, oh my God, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so lost right now. I don't know where I am. Can you help me? Cause I really, you know, basically making a connection of 
a different type of connection than what we're used to, a more personable connection. And he helped me get out of the parking lot, didn't mention anything else after that. We, we walked away. And I think that there's something to be said for trying to in those specific situations, because I have heard of people doing this horrifically while they're getting raped, um, where they start to talk to the person in terms of a human connection. So in terms of, do you have kids? Do you have a wife? You know, like, um, do you starting to make a thing that stops dehumanizing you? Um, it doesn't always work, but it is a possibility. It is a thing that can work in some instances. I think it's something, uh, you know, I think it's a good thing to have in your toolkit. I think with the police, and being stopped and searched by the police, it's um, it's the the situation is similar, but not exactly the same. And especially, de- you know, depending on a lot of extenuating circumstances, the first one being the color of your skin. Yep. Although I have had a friend who um, whose husband is African American and she is Hispanic, dark-skinned Hispanic, and they were able to use, like, a personal connection to get out of a search. Um, Right. And it, you know, like, I think that that whole judging, if you're not being pulled over by a psychopath, let's just, you know, like, there is some, when you start to make yourself more human, when you start to connect with them being a human, too, it does work in some instances. This is, I don't think anything when it comes to self-defense is a hundred percent ever any of the time. No. You always have to read the room, but it is something that you can try to do. And I think that's also why white men, especially um, who get pulled over by white men, cops are usually let off the hook is they're instantly relatable to the guy. And if you look at like a smaller town, especially um, then it's going to be more relatable to the cop. Like, oh, this could be my buddy down the street or, oh, I recognize he looks like my brother, you know? Um, And Mm -hmm. so that relatability and that humanization is higher for them. And so they can get away with more. And that's when, like Susie said, it, you, you know, stop and your taillights out. Well, they'll just be like, hey, but you should go get your, you know, taillight get fixed, like whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus if you are somebody who doesn't look like that cop or doesn't look like anybody the cop knows, that's when your risk gets a lot higher if you're, a person of color, white, a woman, um, trans, or anything like that, then your risk goes way up because you are less human to them because they, you are also less familiar. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think to, I think deflection and misdirection or redirection um, is a great thing to practice. If it and and just to say it to yourself, this is something that I could do. Um, maybe these are some words that I could use kind of to, to put that into your own subconscious so that it's there if you need it. Um, it might not work, but it might work. I think, you know, one of the things that I like to stress about self-defense when we use self-defense um, is that it's to disrupt a situation. It's, it's self-defense isn't to prevent, you know, it's to disrupt and so when we're in that situation, misdirection would probably be the best way to disrupt. It's our kind of our best bet. I mean, other than that, yeah, prepare yourself. If this happens, then I may need 
Um, I may need to have some emotional support, psychological support. I need to know what my rights are. I need to have a path that I can follow to contact attorneys, to do whatever it is I need to do. If I feel like um, you do have a right to sue the police for emotional distress in the United States. Um, that's actually a very clear right, and it's something that I think a lot of people don't know about, but that's actually usually your best bet in, in, a, in an aftermath situation. Unfortunately, that's not something you're going to say in the moment. Like, I'm search, I'm going to sue you for emotional distress because I don't think they care. But <clears throat> making a human connection and, and uh, redirecting the situation I think is a redirecting focus is a really good advice for that. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman, too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Kollick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.